Hello and welcome back to the Research for Practice podcast. This episode is being released on University Mental Health Day, so we are really glad to be joined by Dr. Bryony Porter to discuss her work researching and delivering mental health and wellbeing support programmes. We talk about her experiences supporting PhD students through the Courage Project while she was completing her own PhD, and her subsequent research on practitioner mental health when providing end-of-life care during a pandemic. In the final part, we talk about her current work with the Men's Shed community, researching the possible positive benefits for mental health of being part of that community. It's a great discussion that perhaps reveals some fundamental needs that are universal to human experience. Hello, Bryony Porter. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi, Bryony. Really lovely to have you here today. Really interested to talk to you today because I met you whilst you were doing your PhD. And what you're doing now, although it's not directly related through your PhD, it, it came about because of your PhD. So can you tell us what you're doing at the moment and how you got to be here? Sure. So I'm a senior research associate at the moment and I work on projects associated with health and social care, mental health. I came into this role through my previous job, which was working on the Courage Project, which is where Natasha and I first met, which is something I came to during the end of my PhD. The Courage Project was a project to support the prevention, intervention, and ultimately aiming to change the culture around mental health and well-being amongst PhD students or postgraduate researchers, as they're quite often called. So what sort of things did that involve? The Courage Project had eight strands to the project and we took an approach that was what we kind of called like a whole university approach looking at mental health and well-being from lots of different angles so from understanding what impact it had around the research culture and community that you're part of as when you're a PhD student to providing resilience and well-being initiatives and training we also provided low commitment sports fitness and social activities so that included things like a walk and talk, which was a walking group. Uh, we also had a running group called PG Runners, and we had an allotment and gardening group called PH Diggers. The project also looked at issues around being an associate tutor whilst you're doing your PhD, as well as more broadly at university issues, including mental health impact assessments of university policies and training and support for supervisors around mental health of their students as well. Wow, that's really broad then in, in terms of looking at mental health in its entirety across the universities. Yeah, it certainly took a broad approach because I think that's really the point of it really is that mental health is never just something that lies with the individual, especially when you're within a system like a university. You can't fix if you're going to try and fix mental health you can't fix it by just helping a person do a mindfulness course for example that will never change the issues that are also impacting them on their day-to-day experience as a PhD student. I think one of the things I really liked about the Courage Project was that it wasn't just looking at policies and thinking what we can do it's actually doing stuff as well and bringing people together so how was it received what was the impact it had with it from my perspective so a lot of the work that I did was that doing side of things so I was 
facilitating getting students together quite a lot and it would bring students together from across different parts of the university which I think was one of the really nice things about it was that uh, mental health and well-being unites everyone because we all have that experience and it doesn't really matter what you're studying so I felt it was it was well received and we had really good engagement from across different disciplines from across different sectors of the university so that PhD students and researchers I felt really got something from what we were doing but also staff as well so so because of the different approaches that we took it involved the community of people that work with PhD students so in terms of all the work that that you did what for you did you find most enjoyable probably the most enjoyable part was being able to get outside and do things with students on our campus which is obviously something that I'm I'm a bit worried and concerned for the PhD students who are missing that opportunity right now. But we would go for walks around the lake and we would talk about PhDs. We would talk about research methods. We would talk about academia. We would talk about our personal lives as well. And it created a space for that conversation. My, my favourite thing, though, would have to be the PhD diggers allotment that was this really really unique space that we had on campus so UEA UEA has some allotments that are available for staff and students and not a lot of people really know about them and they're sort of tucked away by the side of the lake and we were able to take over a few allotments and we grew vegetables which was (laughs) lovely and picked picked fruit so you'd have these spaces where people were doing an activity under the kind of overarching banner of this mental health project and it created an opportunity for people to go, well, how are you? How is your PhD going? How's that How's that thing with your supervisor going? Is that all right now? No. Have you thought about pursuing this as a way of, you know, addressing that? Have you thought about talking to this person? And it was being able to do things on a shoulder-to-shoulder approach rather than necessarily having to go face-to-face talking about your mental mm-hmm. health with someone. So what we're doing right now could be a bit more intimidating talking about your own mental health, but when you can talk to someone about so for me personally when I was doing work with the PH diggers for example we would be down at the allotment and I would have a conversation with a student about how they're doing and I had students who would open up and tell me that they were feeling suicidal for example and I was trained in how to manage that conversation and so we took those processes but also after that have a conversation about it and then we could go oh wow look look what the tomatoes are doing over there should we go and we, we could spend half an hour kind of doing something together, which just took away some of the stigma and the sort of intensity of that conversation. Mm. It was also a really nice way of being physically active without necessarily having to go for a run. So it was a bit more kind of inclusive in that way. So you left it feeling tired because you were digging away and there was a lot of work to do. And you felt this sense of satisfaction at, at what you'd done. And I know some PhD students who would come, they would described that the being at the allotment created somewhere where you could get a sense of satisfaction just from spending an hour and a half there in a way that you sometimes don't get from your PhD because you're mm-hmm. spending three or four years working towards something and it's not until you get to that point that you're finished. One of the things around mental health was actually I mean I think why the coverage project was set up you were saying is to sort of really look at and change the culture within academia um, so some of that must have been quite challenging in actually getting the voice heard and standing up and saying actually we need to change the way we do this or this was it met with any resistance do you know I that's what I thought going into the project that 
we were going to have resistance and we were going to have people going, oh, you know, it's always going to be this way. And that's just the way it is in academia. But that wasn't the case as much as I expected it to be at all. And some of the key things that I learned was, firstly, that there's a real appetite for a discussion and an active sort of participation in mental health within PhD students, as well as more broadly within academia. So I felt that there was sometimes people are a bit worried about whether should we be talking about mental health? Should we be talking about mental health during your PhD when people come for their induction, for example, to start their PhD? But what I found and what I think we all found was that people were willing to have that conversation. They were and they were also really pleased that it was just something that was on the table. So that's what I felt. One of the things that courage the courage project allowed for at the university and across the network of universities that are also funded was a space for a conversation about mental health. And that's not just the mental health of how you're doing, but also what are the things that are affecting you that might be able to be changed? What university processes, for example, are detrimentally affecting mental health of PhD students? But once people learn about those things, they can be addressed or, or at least revised a little bit. Around the research culture and community, one of the things that we did that I think really helped was we had PhD students leading on the work that was associated with the research culture and community. So we had PhD students doing paid placements as part of the project to work within their faculties of the university and develop something that was relevant to them and to their cohort. So it came from came from the people who really understand about what's going to be important to research culture and community there. So that meant things like lunchtime seminar series were put together for students to get together and reflect on their research, but also have a space to to talk and get to know each other. I think that's really interesting, actually, because I think it's come out of some other podcasts with other populations, which is the importance of actually really listening and including those who are affected by the decisions being made. And it sounds like you gave lots of opportunities to do that. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's integral in and it should be integral in, in research. In it, it certainly should be integral when you're talking about a population that they should be involved in that conversation as actively as they can and want to. And within the Courage Project, that was something that we embedded throughout lots of the work that we were doing. So it was largely PGR led. So I was a PhD student as well doing this role and it wasn't until the end of the project that I'd actually finished my PhD so not only from my perspective but also with all the PGRs that we had involved and one thing that was good about the project when they were applying for the funding it wasn't just having representation on a committee or something like that it was having PGR students being paid to do the work that they were doing to be involved which is really important that you get recognition for the work that you're doing and if that means it's financial then and that's really important for PhD students, particularly who often have difficulties around finance when they're doing their studies, that if they're going to give time to something in the way that they did, that they should be reimbursed fairly for that. I think that's a really important message when you think about across any sort of user participation, no matter what, whether it's social work, whether it's youth work or anything, it's actually about that recognition of, of time that people are giving to, to that project. Is the Courage Project still going, sorry? It feels like a long time ago now because of 2020, <laughs> but it was um, the Courage Project ran from January 2018 till January 2020. There are still some parts of the project that have kind of implemented their way into the university structures. So I believe 
the university has someone in a role in student support services that works with PGRs now specifically and the students union still do a lot of work around supporting postgraduates at the university and mental health now is on the agenda when we're talking about PhD students which is really important. And we did our own little bit in the School of Education and keeping the walk and talks going up until lockdown. (laughs) I mean, one of the things that always strikes me about UBA is it's a beautiful campus. It's a beautiful site. And obviously a lot of the stuff that you did was outside. What would you say are the key learning points that people can take away when they perhaps don't have some of the advantages that we had at the UBA? That's a, a good question. In terms of in terms of sort of the project or in terms of being able to do things for your own mental health? bit of both really (laughs) nice simple question (laughs) (laughs) I think for for individuals it's about finding something that works for you so there are loads of things that people talk about when it comes to what people term self-care or wellness or looking after your own mental health and there are loads of different options but doing mindfulness doesn't work for everyone Going for a run doesn't work for everyone, but it's about finding something that helps you get through what you need to get through. And at the moment, we're all on a national lockdown. So at the moment, something that's probably quite important for a lot of us is trying to find a time to get outside in the daylight and enjoy just a walk. It doesn't have to be necessarily in a beautiful green space or around a lake. But if you have something like that near you, then that's great and accessible. But just spending some time outside might be helpful. In terms of broader findings from the Courage Project, I think something that I learned throughout this was that it's important to talk about mental health and it's important to address it even when they know things are going to be difficult. So during a PhD, things can get really difficult. It can be a really challenging experience for a lot of people and life happens outside of a PhD as well. So lots can happen to someone during that process. But having a conversation around mental health is never going to be a bad thing. Creating a space for that conversation to happen is really important. And I, and I think at the moment people are recognising that as well, which is great. Yeah, I think it's been brought into stark contrast, hasn't it? We, we, within PhD study, it is quite a, an individualistic thing. People work on their own projects and it can be quite isolating. And then now we have lockdown. It's just, yeah, it's ramped that up tenfold, hasn't it? Um, yeah. So where are you at the moment? What, so the, the Courage Project has finished and hopefully its, uh, it's legacy still lives on a lot of other side projects. But so, what, so where are you now? and what, What's your focus? So my focus at the moment is on health and social care, workforce, mental health. And I started that role in February, just before the lockdown. So the role itself was, of course, important before the pandemic. But the pandemic has put into light a lot of the issues and challenges that the NHS workforce, for example, and social care as well are facing, have been facing for a long time. One of the projects that I led on over the last few months was around understanding what impact providing end-of-life care during a pandemic would have on the staff who are providing that care. So we conducted a systematic review of the literature looking at the current pandemic, as well as previous disease outbreaks, so things like Ebola and SARS, and within humanitarian disaster situations where the usual processes providing end-of-life care in these situations are changed. And we've seen that, and people might have heard about that through the news and everything that's happened during COVID. But staff have to adapt 
to the situation that they're in and this can be really challenging. So what sort of things have you found in this piece of work? So we found that for staff it can be a very difficult and challenging process to provide end-of-life care under these circumstances but we also found a lot of things that might help and these are the recommendations that we're hoping to put forward. So that's around providing places for support for staff to happen. So there are fundamental things that we know now are essential in these circumstances, things like PPE, which is essential when you're providing care during a pandemic. Things also like having contact with your family, whether that's not physical contact because you might not be able to because of infection, but it's being able to have opportunities to have a phone call or a video call with your family and your support system around you. The other thing that we found was important was providing spaces for peer support. So being able to provide spaces where teams can get together and they can have a moment to reflect on on what they're going through or just to be able to provide an opportunity to support each other. What's really interesting about that is particularly the peer support are the links with the Courage Project and finding safe spaces for people to connect in a really informal way. So not necessarily in supervision how are you doing that face-to-face thing seems to be a lot more informal than that I, I would agree with you that it's quite often those conversations that you have with your peers that are the ones that help you to recognize that what you're going through isn't just something that you're going through and that's something that I found on the courage project and when looking at the literature around this as well is that when people started talking about oh yeah I've got I've been having this bad day or this bad experience working on this project, for example, during the Courage Project, or I've got this difficult relationship with my supervisor. Other students go, yeah, me too. Like that's, that's normal. That's what I'm experiencing as well. And I think it's that peer to peer recognition that you're not in this alone and giving a space to air what you're experiencing as well. I think that's so true across everything. And there are. There are things like mental health that just aren't talked about. And so we don't know how to make sense of what we're going through because we we haven't got these things to compare it to. Because we don't know it's actually also going on in other people's lives and they have a similar story. And actually there's learning that can come out of that. I like the, the non-direct approach. I think we forget about it as we compartmentalise everything. We forget that actually the relationships that make us who we are are built up of all lots of little interactions not always about sitting down face to face and talking about it do you think it's about being more holistic in how we know each other i i certainly think that helped in the courage project at least and in understanding for phd students that often i felt people wanted to be seen as more than their phd quite often they were this person working in this lab doing this project but that's one side of their life. And actually, that's a really big part of their life because it's all encompassing when you're going through a PhD. But there is so much more to a person than their PhD. And if your PhD is difficult and if you're having a difficult experience with your PhD, being identified as only really that and nothing and people not knowing you as more than that means that you're sitting with difficulty all the time. Is there, and is there not a, a parallel in the same way with health and social care professionals that, that, that making contact with families being more than just what you know being valued yes being valued in your role and being given I think part of PPE is not just about physical protection it's actually acknowledgements that you are worth looking after and you're, we look after you and we give you the stuff you need to do your job but also beyond that you are more than that you are who you are to your family that is important you are 
as a colleague, you aren't just, you, know, you are more than just your role, you are a person. Absolutely. And interestingly, when you talk about PPE, something that we found from the review was that because if you imagine, it's a difficult circumstance, but if you imagine providing end of life care to someone, so this person is dying of COVID, for example, the person who's providing that care is covered in PPE to protect them from the virus. But that means that this person is not identifiable. So that PPE was an interesting thing that came up from the review because it created on one hand a, a barrier between the patient and the health practitioner, but it was a necessary barrier mm. because without that, they wouldn't have been able to provide any form of physical contact. So with PPE on, you could hold someone's hand if whilst they're going through that end of life care experience and be close to them and use things like technology, which have been used in COVID for families to deliver their message. So PPE becomes something that's not only essential for protection, but also it's essential for helping to provide that compassionate level of care that mm. staff want to and what you would want for your family to have during that circumstance. That's fascinating. I hadn't really thought about that, that, that level of yeah the relationship. But it, I suppose what it strikes me in all of this is that connectedness, isn't it? It's, a fi- it's about finding a way to connect to others, which is can be really difficult at the moment because everything's done through screens and that we perhaps don't have those odd conversations in the corridors. But I think when we, if we're looking at policymakers, if we're looking at leaders and managers, I hate to use the buzzword trauma-informed practice, but actually what we're talking about is is actually thinking about what staff are going through in order to help the people that really need the help. Yeah, absolutely. And there will be, there has already been a lot that has been learned from what's been happening right now, but there will be a lot that can be learned from staff themselves, as long as they're involved in these conversations around what what should happen now. What have we learned from this situation and, and what will we be able to put forward into planning for what might be the next pandemic? Thank you, Bryony. I just, uh, I suppose I'm sort of interested in what's next for you. I mean, you, you're working on some tough projects. What, what, what comes next? <laughs> so at, at the moment, you know, it, it never stops, of course. Um, we're, I've been working on a project with the men's shed, myself and a gentleman from a men's shed. They, they like to call themselves shedders. Uh, so I started working with a shedder back in March and we met for the first time over, over Zoom because we were obviously in lockdown and we worked with with him and with the UK Men's Shed Association to develop a grant application for some funding to do some research. But the project is going to be looking at understanding what impact being part of a men's shed has on the mental health of the shedders who are part of it. Tell us a bit more about the men's shed. What does it do? So the men's shed is their sheds. They are their physical places that are places for often men but there are lots that are now gender non-specific as well and and women are are welcome for people to come together and do physical uh, activities things like woodwork or metal work or textiles work or uh, mechanical work and they have this shoulder to shoulder approach which is again similar to the stuff that we did in, in the courage project where your time is broadly spent doing an activity 
but it also creates a space where you get together with people and maybe you talk about your mental health or you probably don't necessarily directly talk about your mental health but you might talk about how's it going like how's that how's that thing happening with with your wife or uh what's that you know you've got that niggling pain in your knee shouldn't you go and see a doctor about that so that was an interesting one actually when I was talking with the shedders they talked about how they would be at the shed and they would be talking about like a a pain or something for example that they might have or, or a lump something like that that when they talk about it with their fellow shedders the blokes around them might go oh, maybe you should go and see that like maybe you should go and see a doctor or someone about that but they but their wife quite often it would be their wife at home had been nagging them as they would say for <laughs> for months on end to go and see that and it wasn't until sort of their their friends at the shed sort of encouraged them to go so it, what they found with sheds is that they they create a space for kind of spaces to talk about your health but and sometimes to talk about mental health but not specifically and it's kind of a space that creates a community and supports mental health without necessarily directly shoving that message down your throat that this is something that the sheds are there for that shoulder to shoulder concept is really powerful and i think from youth work and social work a lot of the the interactions you have with young people if you're doing something like playing a game of pool or in a car and you're not facing each other the stuff you can talk about can be so much more in depth without being intimidating but i think we forget about as professionals we need to do that ourselves with each other um, and and to be shoulder to shoulder side by side with each other not just with our professional hat on or etc again it's difficult now because of the circumstances that we're in but it's even something like having walking meetings. So I've done that when, when we were able to with colleagues that rather than having our meetings sat around a desk, we would do it while we were going for a walk. And the opportunities for creativity that come from that, as well as opening up sort of space to talk about more difficult things as well, when you're not sitting face to face with someone who's really effective. For me, a lot of this is about how we're creating safe spaces that aren't too intimidating, that aren't about power differentials. It's about how we just encourage people to be with each other as part of the workforce, which it becomes really important. So um, thank you very much. I think it's really pertinent to a lot of the work that I do. So um, it's been really great talking to you. Thanks, Brian. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. What I really enjoyed in our conversation with Bryony is the simplicity. Bryony reminds us that mental health interventions do not have to be mysterious. Interventions don't have to feel too clinical or scary or intimidating. Despite good intentions, we can sometimes as researchers make things too complicated and we can hamper or confuse the practice of professionals. What about if we all remember that we are people working with other people? The projects Bryony works on involve actions that we can all do. We can be there for others, we can listen, chat and find activities to do together. If we have realised anything during this pandemic, it is the importance of social connections. And so as researchers, let's help practitioners to facilitate this.